rumor going around that Microsoft is planning on phasing out TFS, the version control system. Was it Team Foundation Server? Uh huh. And they're going to move everything to Git. Huh. Yeah, there was a some presentation given in like Oslo. Uh, I'm not sure if it's at a conference or what. But then some people later saying that that wasn't true. So I can't see that being true. Yeah, they're. You know, I think Microsoft. I mean, they're the they're the kings of uh, not invented here. So they would. Although they've, I don't know, I'm sure people would. Well, that and that, I mean, that's a, that's something they license to enterprise and make quite a bit off of because they've subscribed to the entire Microsoft model. So I can't see them giving up that, giving that up for anything. Yeah. I don't know how much, I have no idea how much money they make off that, but anything other than Git nowadays is just going against the grain. It's just hard. Um, Git has totally won the, this war. Well, maybe it has, but I remember yeah. what I was going to bitch about too now. All right, we'll go ahead. This is completely random though. I hate it when you go to a website and you're shopping for something and you see the tiny little image they give you of the product and it says, click here to enlarge. And what happens when you click to enlarge? It you just get a ups- new window up- upscales with the a same, window of the same yeah, damn yeah. size. Or even worse, if it just like upscales the same image. Yeah. If, if yeah. you're not going to do it right, don't do it. Right. Just don't do it. That just pisses me off. Mm. And it, I'm sure it pisses a lot of people off. <sighs> yeah. So I have, I have a question for you. Websites are hard. I made an interesting observation, or at least interesting to me. And if you, if, how do you search for stuff on Google or any, any search engine? Say you're searching for a product. What's the normal way you search for something? I type in the product name and hit enter. Added too, but then I realized I'm more of a visual person, and when I search, the the text part doesn't really help me that much. So a lot of times, one of my tricks when I'm searching for something, especially a product, is I'll click over to images, and I'll click on that because usually if I'm looking for a product or something, it's easier for me to visually see what I want um, versus trying to read all the links and the descriptions. And I was doing that one day, and I I noticed that it gives you that little top bar at least this is google it gives you that little top bar of the highlights of, of things about whatever you're searching for like the most common things and i realized that it's actually a pretty good way of searching yeah i think it depends i mean on what you're searching for but yeah i mean yeah the week i mean our brains even though it's interesting even though you know images have thousands of pixels i mean our brains decode that and feed that to us much faster than than it does text Right. And then and then then I made another observation after that is if I search for a company name, it kind of does the same thing. You get a bunch of their logos and all that kind of stuff, but then it also highlights the the things at the top. And I found it interesting because I think it's actually a pretty good way to get to know what a major company is known for. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like if you type in Microsoft you get the logos and everything, but the first two things that are highlighted are Office and Word and Bill Gates. Seems pretty accurate. Uh, and then I did, I did Oracle for giggles, and it came up with Greek Batman. <laughs> and then I had to kind of whittle it down to like Oracle Corp or Oracle Company. Yeah, and and then you get. You get what you'd expect. You get, you know, some really ugly enterprise software. <laughs> you do um, get some screenshots of the software, yep. but 
interestingly enough, you get a lot of pictures of their campus. They're like huge Oracle building that's overlooking the bay or ocean or wherever they're at. I don't forgot, forgot where they're at. So they're really known for their corporate headquarters and they're really known for sun and Java. Yeah. And they're really known for a database. And then I thought, well, let's see what Salesforce is known for. So if you type up Salesforce, you get, they're known for their Salesforce logo. They're known for the clouds. They're known for dashboards. <laughs> and then maybe you might get some CRM stuff. They have a lot of BS marketing stuff, don't they? Yeah. Uh, if you search for Salesforce, there's a good old social enterprise horseshoe. <laughs> I never want to see that thing again. Uh, Google was kind of interesting too, because it was kind of the same as Oracle. You got Google Glass, you got their logos, of course, their headquarters, um, their doodles, and then search at the end. Well, not at, oh, search and maps. So I don't know, it was an interesting observation that I made because that little highlight bar, just based on images and how many images those are, I'm not sure how they categorize that. I'm not sure if that's someone manually kind of. I bet it's algorithm, man. Yeah, it has to be an algorithm, but it's funny that that algorithm kind of gives you a better idea of what that company's known for. That's Google's job. The relevancy and the semantics. So if I put it in perspective, if I had to tell an alien what these companies were about, I'd send them there. <laughs> Although uh, just an aside on the shopping thing, it's funny how nowadays what I do is depending on what I'm going to buy, I generally go right to my very small, very few trusted sources that I buy things from. You know, 95% of the time it's Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon's probably 90% of my shopping. A lot of times I'll find something somewhere else and I'll see if Amazon has it. And I'll, if I, if they do, I'll buy it from them. I'm not sure if it's just convenience or I feel more secure because I've done business with them for so long. Well, I, I think it's, I have such a high trust in Amazon. I trust them and they have, I mean, just such a vast array of products and something else I noticed that's new. So, you know, we did the prime thing. Um, and with prime, you get, you know, two day shipping for free. And a while back they started including Saturdays on that. So if you ordered something on Thursday, it, it might get, it would get to you Saturday. Well, I ordered um, coffee on Friday and it was prime. So I just picked two day and it, and it said, you know, in the shipping selection, it said to, you know, you want to receive it on Sunday, choose to choose, you know, the free prime two day. And I'm so now they're at least on certain things. And it probably has something to do with proximity of the distribution center that contains the product that you're buying, but it, they're including Sundays in the two day window now. So oh, I ordered on Friday. I ordered coffee like Friday afternoon and it showed up yesterday, Sunday. I think the other thing I like about it is you can now filter by prime products that are eligible for prime. Oh, that, I've been doing that for years, man. I'm just saying, I like that feature. Yeah. I, although you, do you know the, do you know the, um, the little bit of a scam with prime? So a lot of the prime products are, are actually just having increased cost. So it's almost like this, the, the two day shipping cost is built into an increased product price. Really? Not, not all of them, but on a lot of them. And they've, there was actually just a couple of weeks ago, um, 
that kind of hit the news. There was someone had done, looked at some of the, like did some research or some comparisons or something. But yeah, I've noticed that. Especially the things that are available from multiple sellers. You know, I can, I can buy it from all these different sellers and it's cheaper than prime. And the, the differential that it's cheaper by is the shipping cost. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I usually filter by prime primarily because I know that they're being distributed by Amazon. And if you notice Amazon's, Amazon's catalog is kind of big. And even if you have the right serial number, you'll see a lot of different versions of the same product. And some of the products I buy, they have certain versions over that that have been enlisted over a certain number of years, but yet they still have them in stock. But there's a specific version that I want, maybe their latest model or something like that. And I've noticed that that gets kind of mixed up in the shuffle. Right. So I'm, I'm, I, or I know that some other vendor carrying it that's listed on the site, but it drop ships from them is probably using that older version or a version I don't want. So sometimes I use the prime just to try to figure out exactly what Amazon has in their distribution. Yeah. And, and the other thing is if you don't pick the two day shipping method and if they just ship it, you know, UPS ground, I mean, that can take like five to seven business days if it's coming from across the country. It says that, but a lot of times I'll get it on the exact, on the third day. Yeah. It it's just, rare like that said, it, it takes it, it just five depends days. on where it comes from. And, and UPS ground, they only guarantee, what is it? It's like nine days or something or 13 days is the, is the technical guarantee. So you're basically not allowed to call and complain if that time hasn't elapsed yet, which is crazy. But well, speaking of Amazon, I don't think you're not a comic book guy, are you? Nope. <laughs> well, there's an app on iPads called uh, Comixology. Yep. I'm familiar with it. And that. I really like it because yeah. it, um, it has this smart technology that when you're reading a comic, you can kind of go into this mode. And as you're reading, it kind of zooms in on the different panels. Mm-hmm. So it's really interactive. And apparently Amazon just has recently announced that they're going to acquire it. Oh, wow. Mm. So it's interesting. Then, so they bought a couple of years ago, they bought um, audible. Yep, they did. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It's very, it's media. Um, and I've seen comicsology. It looks pretty awesome the way it works. Yeah, it is. I, it I really looks, enjoy I mean, it. The, it's really high fidelity. Yeah. It, it's a money pit though. Cause you start reading them and you go through those stories really quick. And the fact that they're so interactive just makes it that much more enjoyable when uh, interactive to the point where you're zooming into the panels. So you kind of feel a little bit more engaged in the story. Yeah. Almost like, you know how, when, um, on in movies, if they do a little, like a, a comic book style, like vignette or something, how it's, it, the camera kind of pans around or the viewport pans around the comic strip. Right. It's yep. that's kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, exactly. And those comic books aren't cheap. I mean, they're five bucks a pop and the series, there's like hundreds in a series or even thousands in a series. And if you get hooked on one with, with a, with a <laughs> one click buy, you're, you're just blowing through money on these comics. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I had to kind of just turn it off and stop looking at what they were doing. Cause they, they'd have like 99 cent days and I go in and buy a comic for 99 cents and get really engaged in the story. And then when I get the next one, before I know it, I've spent, you know, 20 bucks that, that night just reading through comics. <sighs> it's a dangerous game. Yeah. Hey, do you ever use any Atlassian products? Uh, like, um, what do they make? Jira, uh, Confluence, uh, Crucible, Fisheye. 
He does. Not currently. I think I've been, I don't want to say forced to, but I think I've been in teams that were using like Jira and yeah. what is fisheye? Cause that sounds really familiar. It's, it's actually a, a, like a code browser. Um, yeah, then maybe not. Okay. Maybe I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever used it. I think Jira is probably, well, Jira was one that I was asked to use. And I think I would try to integrate with it one time. And the API is really weird. Um, it was really hard to work with, at least for what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I've integrated with Jira before. Anyway, they, um, so they, they're an Australian company, or at least part of them were. They, um, before they were at Lassian, there were, they were two separate companies. It was, uh, I think Sinqua is how you say it. They were, that was the Australian side. And then they merged with another company. I think it, and I can't remember the name of it. I think it was the company that made Jira. Uh, anyway. And they, so they formed what is now Atlassian. And that was like, I don't know, I want to say five years ago. But I remember being at conferences with the two guys that founded uh, Um back when they were, I mean, I guess they were pretty young at the time. The company was pretty young, but now they are. So they just did another round of funding and they were valued at $3.3 billion. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. And here's the, here's the interesting part. They don't have a single salesperson. Um, I'm just reading this thing here. So, so yeah, they're all, I mean, they're just all word of mouth and they just sell on their website. Um, with the money that they save, the company invests heavily on research and development, building products with the aim that they are good enough to spread by word of mouth. Um, yeah, they're profitable as a result, and it has been cash flow positive each quarter for the past 12 years, and its sales rise an average of 40% annually. So that's interesting how, because, you know, that's been in the news a lot how um, software as a service is that the whole model is questionable because most of the big players seem to seem to have a hard time making money, you know, being profitable, and the more they sell, the more they lose. And here you have a company you know, Atlassian, which I don't, I don't really know if they're considered a SaaS player. Um, they do have, like, I think most of their software is, ho- you know, you have the option of hosting it uh, or they'll host it for you or you can just buy it and you can run. I mean, they're basically just Java apps. So they'll run on, you know, any, pretty much any server. Um, but yeah, they have 800 employees. Yeah. But they're also not throwing huge conference parties every year and, spending a ton in marketing. So what they're saving in marketing and sales is what makes them profitable. Yeah. And they're also not on a huge acquisition binge either. Are they? Um, so let's see, let me see if they mentioned Cinco in this article. They don't at all. Um, they bought, they have, they have done some acquisitions actually. Um, what they buy? They bought hip chat. Hmm. I think they bought Confluence. I'm not sure. And they bought Stash, which I've never used. I don't even know what it is. An application for sharing code. So, but nothing like I don't. You know, I don't think any of those were. Those are maybe, you know, a couple million dollar acquisitions. Not, not nothing like the billions. So right. They're definitely. I think they've grown pretty organically. Thought that was cool. A SaaS company with no software, with no salespeople. Um, making money. Well, don't look for Salesforce to be profitable anytime soon. Did you hear about the Salesforce tower? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Uh, yeah. Driving rents up again. In fact, um, that's, I think it, I think this will break a record for rents paid for office space in, in San Francisco. Well, not only that, the, the article that I read about it said that they didn't take any kind of tax credits or anything. So the, the city isn't, you know, they're not asking the city to help them out and saying, Hey, if we go in here and we're going to you know employ so many people, how about a tax break? They're not doing that. Mm. So that's an interesting strategy because they probably could have gotten tax breaks. Um, in fact, do you remember the, um, when Salesforce had an agreement with, I think it was, it was the city of San Francisco and some other entities to uh, build a new campus um, somewhere. I think it was in South San Francisco. I can't remember. And then um, basically the deal fell apart and Salesforce wrote off. I, I want to say it was, if it might've been in the billions, like they just lost their money or something um, ended up being just the, the, costs as they were doing more and more engineering planning and all that type of thing uh, was just becoming uh, budget wise, just more than more than Salesforce could handle. And so they had to cancel it and it cost them a ton. And it was, you know, like a huge disappointment for the city and everything, but right. <clears throat> so well, this, this looks like it'll be a better deal for them. I mean, this is going to be the tallest building in San Francisco. Their, their name is going to be on the building. I don't, it's not their building. I mean, the way it's the way it reads is they're going to be the main tenant. Yeah. Taking up 61 floors or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being the tallest building with your name at the top, your name in the clouds in San Francisco. Yep. That should be a marketing, huh? Of course, if you have a, <laughs> if you have a one story building in San Francisco, you're in the clouds with all the fog there. So, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Um, what do you think the logo on the building will look like? Do you think it'll be a big cloud Salesforce cloud or do you think it'll just be Salesforce? How, how creative do you think they'll get with it? Hmm. Maybe uh, Benioff will have a big banner of his face. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be kind of creepy. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, but the article couldn't help but gush on Benioff and all his recent charitable endeavors, like oh, the hundred so, million gift to the children's hospital. Well, and, he just so he just did that again. You know, he just gave another one hundred million dollars to. I think I think I one of these consortia consortia of hospitals. Mm. Now, is this Salesforce.com money or Benioff nope. money? It's his personal, Mark's personal. This is the second time he's done it. Now I know why Salesforce can't make any money. They're paying this guy too much. <laughs> uh, That's cool, though. I don't, I don't know what the timeline is or anything else. Um, I wouldn't but, mind visiting. I definitely wouldn't mind visiting and checking out the view. I doubt I could make it to the top floor, though. Oh, are you scared of heights? No, I'm just saying that'll be like total lockdown Benioff Central. Oh, yeah. The penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. So what else is going on? Heartbleed. Oh, I'm tired of that. But I'm tired of the actual issue itself. But I noticed something different about this bug than any other bug I've, I've heard about. It had some real marketing behind it. It had a logo. It had yeah. something that the media could gravitate to and not know nothing about, but could put this logo on the screen and scare the shit out of everybody. You know, that's a damn good observation. This I mean, it has a, a site. It has this logo. It has a place to download the logo if you're in the media. This is a, this means is this a psyops operation, man. This it is went psyops. everywhere. <laughs> this has to be an NSA thing. This is this is <laughs> classic psyops, right? Psychological operations. Yeah. 
I, that was just, I just noticed that. I was like, well, why does this have a logo? I mean, I've, I've tracked back major bugs from Microsoft and Apple, and they all had the same crummy text-only bug report pages. It's like they hired a PR firm. I know. This one had real PR. It had a, had a really nice, responsive site with a very style, stylized visual logo that just grabs your attention. Um, it had Q&As and all these things that kind of broke everything down. I mean, they really wanted to get this message out. I also heard some interesting discussions on, you know, if you, if you saw the actual, it's basically one line of code, but if you, if you saw that one line of code, just how it was so, and this is conspiracy theory, it was so well-placed and innocuous and the way that like the code was merged or whatever, they couldn't quite tell like where it came from. <laughs> and it's one of those things that no one, Obviously, no one really notices it. It looked, it just, your brain looks at it and says, oh, that's fine. And then unless someone actually points it out to you and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, no, that's not fine. Well, that was the same story with the go-to fail bug, right? I think that's, isn't that not what this is? Am I crossing two different streams here? I think that's two different streams. I mean, the go-to fail was an Apple iOS bug. Yeah. What was the heart bleed? Well, this was around open SSL. So. Oh yeah. That was a yeah memory buffer thing. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Those are completely different. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so everything I just said applies to go to fail. <laughs> well, I, I looked up go to fail because I was we? like, why does this have a logo? Did some media outlet create a logo? And I went back to go to fail and I was like, did that have a logo? And it didn't. Yeah. It was very old school mm-hmm. bug report. But this well, one had a website, a logo, Oh, even even the website's um, favorite icon had the tiny little version of it. Oh, the uh, the favicon, favicon, fave icon. How do you right. say it? <laughs> favicon. I don't know. I always say five fave icon. Fave icon. Yeah. But yeah. Code Nomicon, I guess, is the is credited with the site, um, and there's some security firm. Um, so I don't know. Was this a way to spread the word? Was I don't I don't know. Um, what, uh, remember last week or a couple weeks ago, we were talking, you were talking about someone added a backup service to Salesforce. What was that called? Uh, I'd have to look it up. I forgot. Oh, it was spanning. Was it, it was yeah. spanning sync, right? Was it? I thought it was spanning. Anyway, um, I mentioned, um, that I had recalled that, you know, backup if I supported Salesforce for, for a while. And I decided that, um, I guess they, I think this was just a press release they issued, but cause you and I were talking about how a restore would work. Um, Cause that would be really tricky if you just had all of an org's data and then actually to get it in, because you'd have to do potentially all kinds of metadata stuff and data or whatever. And they, they have this press release that talks about how they basically just, they have like a, a one click restore, even though it's not one click. <laughs> Look at the screen, but they allow you to select like an individual object or a, like a graph of objects. Like you can say this object and all of its children or whatever, and then hit and then click the restore button, which I guess is the one click, but it's still not, I don't think anyone has a, like, I would just want to, I've screwed up my org up. I want you just to nuke it and restore it from the latest backup. I don't think anyone has that because this one definitely doesn't. I guess depending just, on the size of your org, that might not even be feasible or yeah. Same as just it just with the APIs and with what Salesforce gives you, you just you can't do it. I mean, well, that's what I mean by feasible. I mean, hitting API limits and 
all the cross joins and the, I don't know. It, it's as if it's a difficult problem to solve and I can understand there being some compromises in a one click restore solution because of that. Yeah. I think the only people that can do that effectively are Salesforce and they can re- restore your entire org, but you don't want them to do it because they'll charge you a lot. So you hear about this uh, Salesforce launching this pretty, sounds like a large effort to go to add a bunch of vertical markets. No, but they've always been trying to, you know, get new interest in verticals. So this is, this is big. Um, I think, uh, what's the guy's name? Ken block, Keith block. Um, he's maybe going to head it up or no, I'm sorry. Guess who's heading it up. He'll never guess. Let me, I'll give you a clue. This person was the most incompetent, you know, high ranking member of a presidential administration in history. I have no idea. <laughs> Vivek. I don't know our, who that is. My buddy Vivek Kundra. Oh, come on. You don't remember him or me? Maybe it was so bad that I just him? blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they're, um, they are, this is big. I mean, they're creating like an entire new division. Anyway, uh, Vivek Kundra is going to be the executive vice president leading it. Let's see. Industries, uh, financial services, insurance, healthcare, life sciences, retail, or retail and consumer products, communication and media, public sector, and automotive slash manufacturing. They're also hiring like people away from those industries. So some Comcast guy, um, someone from The Gap, I guess for their retail. I'm sure they'll announce more hires. And what is this supposed to do again? Well, it, I don't think there's anything clear on if they're going to actually have vertical solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of the implication or that's what, you know, reading between the lines. That you'd be able to get like <laughs> salesforce.healthcare or something? Yeah, like it's maybe, a, I don't know. But they're definitely going to be targeting those verticals with specific groups. Well, that could be interesting if they did it right and the software is tailored at a more basic level than say, you know, a third party vendor tacking on functionality onto that. Cause oh, don't you love all these like app exchange things? And it's like three new custom objects that are just, yeah, nothing. Right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just need those base level objects with some base level functionality that, you know, isn't sitting on top of it already. The, you know, the sales cloud. So yeah, I think it's Salesforce attack verticals that way. I think it might be, I think it would be great. But I think this is also part of Salesforce's push. I, because I think they're concerned now that they're going to start having their revenue growth is going to start tapering. And we've talked about that and what that's going to mean for their stock price. <clears throat> but I think this really dovetails with that, with that effort to go from, what are they, a four or 5 billion right now? They want to get to 10 billion pretty quickly because they want to surpass SAP. You know, they've been flying around the country and then Keith Block or Ken Block, whatever his name is, um, kind of just spouting crap about <laughs> SAP, <laughs> how they're going to beat SAP. Um, I, saw, I saw this other article. It was uh, uh, 
Dream on Salesforce. SAP is unimpressed by your threats. Uh, SAP is too classy to laugh at Salesforce. President Keith blocks pretentious remarks as he runs from city to city saying things like, you're going down, SAP. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you know, it's worth noting SAP is far, far ahead of its would-be rival. Um, SAP is the fourth largest software company with $18.5 billion in revenue. Uh, Salesforce sits at number 10 with $3.8 billion. Not only that, but Salesforce isn't even profitable. I guess um, maybe if Salesforce may hit that, uh, what do they got to hit? $20 billion, basically? Um, I guess they'll, uh, they'll make up their losses, uh, make it up in volume, right? <clears throat> uh, I would hope so. But I don't, I don't follow Salesforce at all, but apparently they have this thing called, I don't know if it's H-A-N-A or if you call it HANA. I don't know. It's H-A-N-A, but it's... Uh, some technology they have, but <laughs> this is a funny quote. It's designed to allow any company to do business in real time. Uh, Hannah gives us an advantage over competitors who are running a single cloud app dependent on an outdated database platform. And then it says, could it be the Salesforce runs on Oracle? Enough said. <laughs> Although I wouldn't say, uh, I mean, that's, that's just a, a logical fallacy because Oracle is not an outdated database platform. I mean, it's a relational database but it's probably the best one out there if you need it. Right. Uh, it's just funny though. This, I, I never like these CEOs and, and other like high ranking people at companies that go around talking a bunch of smack everywhere, but it's the norm. In it's fact, it, it's cheapen. No, it's not. It's cheapens. It's just, it's cheapening. It no, when makes you're the you big, look trashy. When you're the big guy and you're the young guy trying to come in and, and raise capital. What do you do? You say, oh, we're we're going to knock the big guys off the block with our new software that does it better and different than the guys that are currently doing it. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily talking, well, it's not like Samsung type smack where they're just completely handicapping their competitors and, and, and kind of highlighting theirs in a way that's just kind of shady. It's more of just saying, hey, these big guys have been doing it this way. We have a new way of doing it that we think is better and we're going to knock them off the block. Yeah. I'm sure Benny, I've talked a lot of smack. <laughs> of course he does. But now he's, yeah, now he's the big not. guy and everyone's going to talk smack about Salesforce. Yeah. Did you see Did you hear about Relate IQ? Well, you said something about it last time. Did I? Yeah. Was it Relate IQ that I talked about last time? Yes. Really? No, it wasn't. Well, how do I know about Relate IQ then? Oh, I guess I did. Either that or I did. Maybe one of us did. Yeah. It was a big data thing, I think. And how they're they're gonna? Oh, they're tar- yeah. It's it's a big data oriented CRM, right? Yeah. I think I I think I brought that up last time. I don't yeah, know. Might have. Um, so, anyways, that that was one that was most recently in my head of someone who was raising capital on bashing the other guy. Yeah. So, do you remember this guy David Linthicum? Uh, no, he's been around forever. He's um. I don't know. He's had, you know, his own little consulting company, but he's also, um, he's written a lot for various publications for, I don't know, like 15 years. Um, he used to write about enterprise architecture a lot. And then from 2005 to 2010, he was writing about SOA. I mean, he was just totally on board with all the SOA stuff. And I, I don't think it's fair to say that he was, he promoted all these, you know, SOA in a box, big SOA vendors. Cause he, he'd actually would caution against that. But he he actually still promoted the culture of that so 
So I, I never liked that. But anyway, he, um, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing now, but he did write an article in InfoWorld uh, saying that Salesforce.com is officially out of ideas. Um, the subtitle is Salesforce's new focus on six industries won't work. Worse, its old strengths won't do it much good in specialty industries. Uh, when you run out of new ways to provide innovative technology, you go vertical. That was a running joke among CTOs back in the day. It usually meant the market had reached the saturation point and you, can, you could not find new growth, so you, hep- you hoped that a healthcare strategy would save you. Sorry, no. So, that, I mean, that's kind of that's the way I felt, too, when, especially when they, they announced this vertical, all this vertical strategy. But there's, like I said, I, I didn't see anything about any actual innovation there. They just, they're creating a department, staffing it with, well, le- being headed by the, the, probably the most incompetent person at Salesforce. And then I guess they're going to just try to hire people in from other industries, which makes sense. But, but there's really, they didn't talk about anything that's actually innovative about any of this. Um, anyway, it continues, uh, it says, uh, many, many companies have tried this approach, but most find limited success. I can't help, but think the same will happen here. Salesforce will soon discover that when you get into vertical industries, the existing foundation of industry specific applications is difficult to displace. Although Salesforce can always play the SAS card. Uh, most of the industry specific pro- providers have already moved to SAS or are in the midst of a move. Doesn't mean that the SaaS won't be a key differentiator because you know the like that's what I mean for gosh for ten years Salesforce it's like yeah you might already have a CRM but you know we're in the cloud we're we're no software <laughs> right that was that was the selling point especially when it yeah. was an inferior product yeah but I I don't know some of these vertical specific software have you seen a lot of them that some of these really major corporations are using they're kind of old school ugly. If they have been adapted to the cloud, it's some virtual, it's like some server they stuck somewhere with the same application running, but now you can either remote into it or there's some other clues that was layered on top of it to make it somewhat SaaS. Yeah, I mean, those those are the really bad ones, but it's all relative. I mean, even if you look at Salesforce compared to a really well-designed modern web app, Salesforce looks old and enterprise. I guess relatively, those other ones look even older. They look like crusty old access databases. Yep. We've built with form generators. Right. Well, heck, even Workday looks terrible compared to Salesforce. And Workday is a new company. It's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, they, have you ever seen Workday? And I know they're, they're redoing it, but the UI was almost all flex. Yeah. And it was I, a common, I've seen it because right before it, <laughs> I left the, my major company, they were implementing it and mm. I was just blown away about how crusty it was. It is terrible. Uh, so let's see. Okay. So my assumption is that Salesforce execs believe they can buy their way into verticals. That's actually not a bad approach, but it comes with a big risk that Salesforce won't be as welcomed into the vertical as its execs think they can't buy everyone. And as long as there are other options with the same or more credibility, Salesforce will be a much harder choice for vertical industry companies to make than block or Kundra Kundra seem to think. Well, I don't think they'll be able to split it up. And just try and do a bunch of them all at once. I think they, they'd have to focus on one, do one, focus on another, do another, and adapt their software to work for that vertical at a very native way. Not just saying, hey, if you cobble together these custom objects, you can get all the functionality that you got here, which is more of a trade-off than anything, I would say. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of vertical industries that require certain amounts of mass data entry or certain amounts of automation or 
tie in with, say, on, existing on-premise systems or hardware that Salesforce just hasn't been designed for. And so just kind of saying we're going to come in and, oh, you can create a custom object and capture this data just doesn't work. It works at a very high general level, but when you're starting starting to get into specifics, that's where it starts to get a little more complicated. Is it well, time yet? What is it time? Is it time yet? For what? Talk about my new chair. Oh, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting. I'm excited. I finally a- got it. I'm happy with it. All right. I, well, I've I've I haven't told you a thing about it because I, I wanted it I wanted to talk about it on here. All right, so tell me. I've seen the boxes. I I probably could have looked at the logo to pay, but I tried to not. So I don't actually. I don't. Well, know I what told it is. you. I told you that much. I told you it was a Herman Miller chair. Oh no, I forgot that. Did you tell me that? You yeah. you must have told me that quite a while ago because I, I forgot. Okay, yeah. I told you at least that much. Yeah the the box is still being used as a clubhouse for my kids, <laughs> or a torture chamber. They have moved, T- timeout box. <laughs> <laughs> they have moved pillows into it. They have little flashlights. They have their iPads. And at one point, the box has these little holes for handles. At one point, my wife plugged in one of the iPad chargers into the wall, then ran the cable through there so that they could charge and use their iPads in there. Hmm. Um, So the box is getting plenty of use. (laughs) Okay. So which one is it? It's the Embody. Never heard of it. I'll have to look it up. It's actually one of their newer ones, at least that I saw. And it's a weird looking chair. Oh, it is. Which color did you get? Um, I got this kind of gray granite, almost. I want to say granite. It's kind of like a slate, maybe gunmetal or something oh, that okay. I'm not allowed to say or something nowadays. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not allowed to use it's, the word gun. It's gra- uh, Graham, John. It's it's space gray. You're not allowed to say gunmetal. <laughs> space gray, and the yeah. So I got it, and um, this is so you just to. Buy a ridiculously complicated, overly expensive chair. <laughs> Why is it so me? Because that's just that's just like you to just splurge on some purchase. But it's not a splurge in my opinion. I'm a professional. I sit at my desk like <laughs> eighteen hundred hours a day, and my butt hurts at the end of it, and I want to have something comfortable. I mean, I've been using that last chair I had for the last what I want to say eight or nine years. That was the one um, we got when we had the office together. Yeah. That's what I'm sitting in right now. Yeah. But, you know. I'm not a of, high roller like you. I can't. None of the adjustments worked. <laughs> I'm not a high roller. I invested in myself. You're a baller. Whatever. I invested in myself. <laughs> oh, I got to remember that. What? Honey, I'm investing in myself. You're, it is. You're investing <laughs> in yourself. You're, you're investing in your business. It's, it's office furniture. It's a tax thing. That's true. All right. So do you want to say how much you spent on it? I don't want to say how much I spent on it, Okay, <laughs> but I will tell you about pricing. Well, I mean, it's pricing like, it's, is very elusive. It's public, right? I mean, the pricing is, it, you, it you is can say but, how much it is or a range. Uh, I mean, these are not, these are Herman Miller. They're not, everyone knows these are not cheap chairs. I mean, they no, go they're for, not cheap chairs. You're going to force me to say it, aren't I? Aren't you? Well, I mean, I don't see why not. All right. I spent $1,400 on it. 1400. Okay. So why is the pricing elusive? Well, because when you first, go out to look at them. You see the picture, you see the picture with everything on it. It's almost like buying a car. You see a car commercial. It's got these really cool rims. It's got the spoiler. They're like doing wheelies in the parking lot and everything. And you go down to the dealership to buy it. 
for the price that they advertise, you know, if you ignore the fine print at the bottom and you see this crappy little piece of crap that's got nothing but stock everything. And that's kind of what the chair is like. You see this price and it's, you know, nine at that 900 to a thousand dollars they advertise for this chair. And then you realize that as you go through the purchase process, um, they go, Oh, do you want armrests on that? Oh, you oh. wanted a you wanted a seat cushion. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, you oh. wanted the little casters at the bottom. <laughs> exactly. You wanted wheels on that chair. <laughs> oh, did you want did you want the silver ones or you want that cheap plastic um, right. kind of base? Oops. Yeah. You know. So it, I went through that process. Like, oh, this is adding up. This is adding up. This is adding up. Um. So Herman Miller, you uh, now do they sell direct or do you have to buy through a um a dealer? You can buy through a dealer, and in fact, I actually did buy do. A, through a dealer and saved probably two to two fifty okay. on the chair. Cause if mm-hmm. you'd went directly to them and did all the add-ons that I did, you'd end up with six or $700. Um, now did you go sit and, and try out chairs before you bought No, this? I didn't. I really didn't. I, oh my gosh, that's, if that actually fits you, you got lucky then. That was not smart. <laughs> no, I did a lot of reviews. I, I looked at a lot of, read a lot of reviews and I found a, a, a great source on YouTube on the chairs as well of people sitting in them, reviewing them, all that kind of stuff. I did see, see a few bad reviews on sitting and not being comfortable and all those kind of things. But most people say that they probably just didn't adjust it correctly to themselves. And this thing, you can adjust everything. You can adjust the seat, how far or close it is to your knee bend. So you can adjust that depending on how tall you are. You can adjust the lumbar tension. You can adjust how far it reclines back. You can adjust the tension for how, you know, how, how much pressure is put whenever you do that. Um, of course you got the up and down adjustment for height on the chair. Um, now, so I remember the Aerons, they have, they actually had, I think it's three different like base models and they had to do with how much the seat cushion sticks out. So mm-hmm. the taller you are, basically the, you have to have either like the A, B or C model, right? If you have really long legs, you have the C model. Right. And that's the one thing you couldn't fix. So if you ordered or had the wrong chair and it didn't fit you, you were screwed. Does this one have that? Or is, is this, you know, like, do you have to pick? No. Okay. That's, so that's what's great about this okay. chair. It actually has yeah. these little handles um, tr- right around my thighs and you can actually adjust it to where the seat comes out further to closer meet your knee bend or, or adjust it back, you know, depending on how tall you are. Um, so that part's even adjustable. So if I, if I come to your office and see you sitting in this $1,500 chair and you've got it all adjusted. And I say, John, uh, just type something. I want to see how you're sitting. Are you, are your arms going to be like at the wrong angle and your monitor is going to be at the wrong angle? Like you're doing all, you know, even, you know, you've got to spend all this money, but like you've still like ergonomically still don't know what you're doing. Probably. Really? <laughs> I you try. Should- I mean, I've been, I've been sitting here working. I, I make adjustments throughout the day. I mean, I've only been with it for a week. Is your table height that your desk height adjustable? No, it's not. And I think that's one of my bigger problems because I have, that's not adjustable. And then I think I should be sitting taller or lower, but I'm also dealing with different heights here. I have my monitor kind of at a different height to try and match my notebook height because of the stand that it's on. Mm. So I, I'll probably end up having to solve my monitor issue in order to really fix my ergonomics issue. But the- nope. I'm going to have to come over and have a consultative session with you. Are you a master of ergonomics? No, I've just, I've looked at the, you just like telling me what to do. No, I've, I've spent some time though, like understanding all the different angles that you should be at and, you know, in order to be 
ergonomically well situated. Well, I do feel when I'm sitting in the chair properly, like I'm not trying to type or anything. I do feel like I'm sitting, like my posture is the way it's supposed to be, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, what I like about the chair is the comfort isn't based on a ton of padding. In fact, there's really no padding in it. All of the all of the kind of comfort comes from how it's made. It's got all these different touch points on the seat itself that flex. So as you move and you can move in the chair, especially your torso, your upper torso, you can actually twist. Um, all of that part of the chair follows you. And that's kind of part of why the chair looks kind of weird in the pictures of it. It's kind of sitting at an angle. So you can't really see how weird the chair is, but it's kind of like, I don't want to describe this kind of almost like an hourglass woman, but like with huge hips, like a Kardashian <laughs> type body where it's kind of skinny at the top, like, and then it just kind of balloons out like these major hips. Cause that's the seat part. You could have said hourglass, but it's not hourglass. Cause the top part is kind of really thin all the way down. It's like hourglass with a girl with small boobs. <laughs> it goes kind of almost straight because curves a little for, for Keep the digging for the, <laughs> it comes out with these big hips. Um, anyways, it, it is a weird looking chair. In fact, most people that's, that have seen it, like my brother and even my daughter kind of looked at it and went, that's a weird chair <laughs> or it's ugly. I think she even said at one point, it is pretty ugly, but I didn't get but, it for, I, I actually don't mind the way it looks. I actually like the way it looks, but what I care about most is, is that flexibility that, yeah. that comfort that I'm getting from it. Well, and the seat up looks pretty good. It's kind of all that weirdness under the seat that looks weird. The back part, that kind of spine Um, looking thing. No, actually the part under the seat, like, I don't know. It just looks like there's a lot of mechanics and machinery going on. Well, I don't really see or feel those mechanics there. There's a, there's a knob there. There's two knobs on the right hand side and a switch on the left. And I think that's pretty much it on the left. Well, that's, that's kind of my point is it's probably the part that is behind your desk. You wouldn't really see anyway. Probably. I never see it. I'm always sitting in it. So. Yeah, so see, my desk is too tall, so I have my seat higher, but because of that, I have a um, a foot stand so that my feet are higher as well. Because mm-hmm. I don't the thing I can't the thing that's fixed is my desk height. Everything else has to adjust. So if my if I need my chair to go up, then my feet have to go up too. Because you don't want you don't want your seat cushion to be cutting into like under your knees, you know, under your legs, right. Yeah, that's one, that's one of the things that's adjustable on here. Well, that's cool. Well, but I think I, it's got a twelve year warranty. So if I if I if I kind of break out my cost across those years that I expect it to last, I mean it's it's really not that big a deal. It's about ten bucks a month. Yeah, I mean it's a twelve year warranty, and I spent fourteen hundred dollars on it. So you can do the math. I'm not going to do the math. That's one hundred forty four <laughs> divided by fourteen. I mean, yeah, it's about ten bucks a month. Yeah, and because you know it's not. The comfort and the, you know, the, I want to say the comfort isn't like you would expect. You, you know, when you go into sit in a chair and it's like really plush and comfy and you just kind of feel like you're sitting in a cloud, it's not that kind of chair and it's not meant to be. It's meant to be a very supportive chair. And so at, once you get the tensions and everything adjusted, the lumbar support, you do get that support and it feels really good even after sitting in it all day. Yep. Um, and because it's not based on padding, it's not going to just compress and just get hard like my other chair ended up getting. The other nice thing about it, and this is just because it's a new chair, is I can actually 
recline in it and it doesn't make a squeak sound. Yeah. Yeah. This thing squeaks. I would definitely send it back for that. You know, for yeah. For for $1,400. But the, the, the casters and everything that I got, and the, there was like three different types of casters, believe it or not. The little well, wheels. There's yeah, because they have to have every chance to upsell you to well, make you because think they have that some that work with a carpet or some mm-hmm. that work with hard floors or one that's both. And I was like, what the heck? Really? Yep. <laughs> so I just picked one that since I have hardwood floors now, I just picked that and that's what I'm going with. But, uh, it was hectic. It was a lot of research. It was stressful buying it. But once I got it, I was really happy and really excited about it. That's cool. I'm glad it worked out. <clears throat> that would have sucked if you didn't like it. <laughs> I would have sent it back it for right? that money. I would have sent it back. Yeah. I'm not going to be one of those guys that spends a ton of money on something and tries to justify it just because I don't want to feel like an ass. No, if I didn't like it and I didn't like sitting in it, I'd send it back. Yeah. Even if it cost me, it would cost me a restocking fee because they don't, they don't keep these on hand. They make them because of all the different add-ons and everything. They don't just make a bunch of them. You, you buy it and you wait like three, three weeks for it to come because mm-hmm. they put it in the queue to be built. Man, I've been seeing more and more talk about just questioning platforms of service. Mainly because you've got all these, everything from like, you know, like Docker and Flynn, these things that make it really easy just to push your own like virtualized OS to like uh, an Amazon or something to things like, um, what's another example? Oh, like containerless, like containerless Java apps. So you can, well, it's almost like the containers actually built in. So you just make this massive Uber jar that includes your servlet container, you know, basically your web server and, you know, pushing that to some kind of uh, like onto a pre-built Amazon AMI or something. Uh, But more and more people are doing that because it gives you more control. The tools are better now. It's easy. It's used to be a lot of work. Now it's, there's so many tools that make it easy. And you've got, you've got, since you've got full control over your environment and like the version of every component from the metal on up, um, you've got a much more consistency. I mean, I've had all kinds of issues with things like um, Amazon's Elastic Beanstalk, which is their hosted. Uh, it's basically Tomcat, but it gives uh, you get like a a balance, you know, an elastic balancer um, and some some tools. But mm-hmm. um, I've had so many issues with that them, them just like randomly bumping up versions of Tomcat or something and that had some slight, not an incompatibility per se, but like one time they bumped up their Tomcat version and the way Tomcat scanned, uh, scanned jar, the jars for like a web, a web initialize, initializer classes was very memory intensive. It basically had to cache everything. And we were on like small instances and it was, so during app startup, it, they were running out of memory and just failing. And, you know, we didn't have any control over that. The the fact that they changed that version. Yeah, I guess version management is always kind of a tricky thing to deal with when you're talking about these environments. Yeah, because it's not just good enough to say, well, you know, hey, we run, you know, Tomcat 7. Well, I mean, there's there's just so much more. There's so many details. I mean, there's so many ways things that can go wrong. You really want, I mean, that's one nice thing about even just, like even baking your own AMIs. I mean, basically the entire image, including the OS, is... 100% 100% under, under your control. And there's not a bit out of place unless you moved it. 
right? So you have full control. So there's none of that inconsistency because at some point it always causes a problem. <clears throat> and that's a problem with these, with these platforms as a service. I mean, whether it's Heroku or Elastic Beanstalk or force.com, I can't tell you how many times force.com has introduced, they've introduced bugs. They always change. And it's funny things. They'll change the way that bugs work. So the bugs in the platform, <laughs> they'll, they'll either fix them or change the way they work. And it just breaks apps and you have no control over it. You know, that, that good old, Oh, you get, you get the ver- new versions of Salesforce automatically. Well, yeah. And that, if you have big apps in production, that's always just a huge pain. It's not something, it's not, this is not a good thing. Yeah, but it's also not an easy problem to solve. I mean, look at Microsoft. They they have so much legacy code in there that things bloated beyond belief. I mean, at what point do you just say, screw all these previous legacy apps and we're going with a clean API? Yeah, well, if you, it is, it is a hard problem to solve, which is why maybe we just shouldn't solve that problem. We should just do things differently. Maybe we don't need to pass. It's entirely possible that a bubble's building around all that and it's going to burst and we'll, we'll, we'll go somewhere else and do something else. Well, I think in some areas that is, I, um, I think her, like, I think Heroku is solutions like Heroku products like Heroku are susceptible to that. I don't think force.com as much just because force.com, I really don't even consider it to be a platform as a service. It's just the thing that you customize Salesforce with. And so people aren't, you know, you don't have an alternative. I mean, if you build in force.com, it's because you have to do this for your org. You don't, you know, you don't have another option. I mean, it's not like you can just go and <clears throat> roll your own Salesforce. But I think things like Heroku, Bean, uh, Elastic Beanstalk, um, maybe Google App Engine to some degree. The gay, as they call it. <laughs> so so what do, you, do you have any predictions on what it'll be? Uh, um, just people foregoing pass because the tools are around. forego it for something else. Something else is going to be far more attractive and solve the problem. At least well, attempt what to I just solve described. the problems. To it's this. what I just described. It's being able to use things like Docker to just build your, your just control the entire stack yourself really easily. And then you just push that over to metal over to, you know, yeah, but you're blank. It kind of ignores one of the more attractive things about platform as a service in that a lot of the, the IT and everything that, that you would normally staff for that gets pushed off to companies like Salesforce and Amazon, and they have the experts for that, and you're not having to pay for those experts. Yeah, except when it, things go wrong, as they always do, and then you actually end up needing those experts. And the problem now is, you know, you're either down or you've had, you know, you have failed deployments or failed upgrades and things. And, and then the thing that sucks about that at that point is you're, you're kind of screwed if you get to that point. You don't control what version of Tomcat that Beanstalk runs. I mean, you can control some things. Like, they, could, they let you... I mean, you can do, you can have these beanstalk initialization scripts that, that customize OS and things, but I mean, you know, that can turn into a mess too. It's, I mean, having done both, I wouldn't, I mean, like I do my, my preferred, you know, kind of default deployment is the, there's like basically the containerless thing or, or things like, uh, uh, the play framework that I think it's type safe owns now. Um, it's just this completely self-contained thing. And, you know, if you combine that with it's, and so it's basically containerless. I mean, it's all just built into it. They, they like wrap, you know, Netty and the servlet container or I'm not actually, there's no servlets. So they're basically just wrapping Netty, including like the, the web, the web server and everything owned. And it's just, it's all rolled up into this ball that includes your application. And it's just this 
you know, self-contained ball and you just roll it out to hardware. And it's in every bit on that thing is exactly as how you developed and tested it. So there, like I'm saying, there are tools that are making this like way easier that don't require, you know, like massive IT infrastructure. Anything. I mean, these are things that I, I do, I can do, and I'm not an IT expert and it's pretty darn easy. I mean, when you combine like, you know, Linux package management and things, it's pretty easy to get an OS and platform set up. I'm assuming that's a competency, I guess. I, I don't know. I just don't think that enterprise IT is looking to take on more people. I think they're looking to offload people at this point. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that's, I don't think, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think you're adding people. I think, it, I think if you don't do something like this, you will be adding people. No, I, I think people are still depending on, on SL. Well, Salesforce is different, obviously than Amazon because you, it, it's not like this entire platform where you're point and clicking like you are with Salesforce. So Salesforce is actually a different conversation than this. Um, yeah. With Amazon, you do have some people a little more, you do have those type of people available to do all that stuff. Um, so maybe that's more of just kind of a new design pattern that comes out of the lessons learned from, from those systems. And for I, I ass, is that how you say it? <laughs> Sass and I ass. I ass is just this. It's like this sleeper. It's just, it's, I think it's going to wake up and be primed just to kind of take over a big chunk of the, what the past market is currently serving. It makes sense. I mean, I'm not, you know, like I said, I've, this is, I've been reading a lot of, a lot of this and it just, it makes sense to me. That's, you know, it's not like it's my idea or prediction. Um, I could definitely see that happening, especially Azure. Isn't Azure more on the IaaS side as well, or does it does it have a lot of pass aspects? I don't think I know enough about <laughs> Azure to say. I mean, I, I think that you know, like the last guy standing are going to be, uh, I don't know, Amazon, maybe Azure. I, I think I think Azure is much bigger than what I realize it is, <clears throat> or it's going to be. Um, and then maybe, maybe Google, cause I know Google is, aren't they getting into IAS? They're, you know, they've done the gay and that, and a lot of people love that. And I, I never really liked it it's too. You have to program specifically for it. And I don't like that, but they're wanting to get into IAS now. So I, I don't know. It's you're like the Elton Brown of, of coding. Why's that? <laughs> cause with his kitchen tools, he always hates something that can't, that's, um, specific oh, uh, to a certain tasker. task. Yeah, Unitasker. Yeah, Unitasker. <laughs> Every time you say something like that, I think of Elton Brown. Mm. <laughs> he has a really good podcast, by the way. Um, I'm not surprised like, that you like Elton Brown. I think you both are kind of of the same mindset. He's like gets all technical and nerdy about food, and you kind of get technical and nerdy about various different things. I think you, I think you guys sitting having a beer would be like the most awesome thing to see. <laughs> Uh, I don't think he drinks anymore. Didn't he quit drinking? Oh, I, I think it's, I, well, I think it was mainly for uh weight loss reasons. Mm. Yeah. He did lose a lot of weight. No, he, I'm sorry. He quit drinking beer. I think is what he said, or just drastically cut back. Yeah. He went from, I don't know. I, I'm not, he looks just like almost too skinny and sick right now. Yeah. He went, he lost like 70 pounds. Yeah. All right. You got any other topics? Uh, nothing that's really major. I did read this article. I'm not sure how interesting it is, but it was, um, it was an article about 
Africa. Does that, that make sense? And programmers in Africa. Was it about the rain down in Africa? No, it was a, it was some conference or some kind of thing that they had down there. I think it was youth in Africa, a new mindset arising or something like that. And the, the article was titled um, agony of an African programmer. Um, and I thought it was interesting because of some of the challenges that they have over there just, and I, the reason I thought it was interesting, cause I, it just made me feel so spoiled being over here in the United States with my Fios internet connectivity and my always on electricity and all those kind of things. And, you know, those guys over there are dealing with, you know, random, you know, power outages and, you know, either in, immensely expensive internet. And for that, they only get a certain amount of bandwidth. And then also just some, I almost want to say cultural things. I don't, I'm not sure if it's even cultural, but just how, how the education system works over there and how students really aren't learning when they're kind of working for their degrees or getting these high level degrees, but they're coding towards a certain grade point. So they're doing everything just to meet that grade point, but it's not really a learning experience. It's more of just checking off the boxes along well, that's the way. What, that's what India started doing 10 years ago to co- commoditize their, their main export. Yeah. And kind of the, the whole moral of it is that, that these guys are coming out of college and they have these high level degrees, but they, they can't, they're not really useful or valuable programmers. I mean, they're probably good for, you know, just some menial tasks or even some, he said, he even said a lot of them just end up in it doing hardware stuff. Um, but they're not really developing true critical thinking or things like that. That makes you a good programmer. They, uh, end up being button click admins. <laughs> Don't say that. That's an insult to good admins who develop beyond that into good developers. I didn't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I'm defending the button clickers. I wish most of those admins would stick to their button clicking. <laughs> I don't know. I want to encourage people to, to move beyond and become good de- developers. I'm all for promoting programmers. As long as I don't have to work in the org, I'm fine with that. I'm for the advancement in, of knowledge and experience. Hey, Jeremy, I was trying to deploy this trigger and uh, I, I broke all the tests. So I just took out all the assert statements and it fixed everything. <laughs> Why do you have all these asserts in there? Yeah, they were breaking all my code, man. I just <laughs> took your asserts out. Fix it right up. Oh, you can't tell me you've had to remove an assert just to get some code to deploy. Yeah, there you go with those with your straw man. What? One, I'm talking about mass removal of all asserts because they don't understand what they're doing and because they've created a trigger that breaks everything and they think by removing every assert in the entire system fixes that. It wasn't a straw man. I'm just saying. I've had to remove asserts to get around Salesforce bugs. I've had to do it to get around other developers bugs that were already in production. Yeah. I don't know if I would do it for that. I'd probably, I'd probably force myself to go fix those. I don't know. Hmm. It's not always, then you take ownership of the code and a lot of times you're not getting paid for that work. So it's, mm. <laughs> it's one of those things that just, you're getting paid to kick the can down the road. Kinda. Yeah. Uh, on some clients, if we have like a long term relationship, it done. When, when are we going to get this deployed? Let's just get it done. I don't care what you have to do. No, on some clients that I have a long term relationship with, you know, we can definitely do that. We can say, Hey, this code's broken it's crappy i need to fix it for efficiency and i'll get the green light to do it but other clients where they're working on focus on a very specific project or deadline you know it's more of just get it in there and working yeah these are people that have no concept of technical debt technical debt i've never heard that what i've never heard technical debt before gosh 
You gotta, get it, from, you gotta like get it from it. under your rock every now and then, John. I thought that's what these podcasts are for. <laughs> I'm a hermit in my house, and this is my only socializing I get. I just Googled it. Martin Fowler's got an article on it. Um, Coding Horror's got an article from five years ago. Martin Fowler's is from 11, no, 12, yeah, 11 years ago. I couldn't remember what I said last week, and I'm supposed to remember that. <laughs> I guess it was also apparently Ward Cunningham, who, all the, by the way, also invented the wiki. Um, he uh, coined that term. Yeah, it's a good concept to understand, and because it's a good, it's good to know when you when you are accumulating technical debt because you have to, you have to accumulate technical debt in order to just do anything. But you, the key is to be transparent about it and understand it and track it so that you can make strategic decisions about when you when you actually go and pay down that technical debt. Cause you have to pay it down at some point or you go bankrupt. <clears throat> Meaning your entire system crumbles at the knees and it's just such a massive, you basically, you just have to rewrite everything. Is agile on your brain? No. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know for the, and I noticed this last week and I just, I thought about it now for some reason. I don't know why my mind's just floating out in the ether. But um, you used to have this I'm not a resource tag on your Skype, and now it says, I think it's oh. one of the Agile mottos, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. What do I have on there right now? What does that say? Uh, individuals and interactions over process and tools. Yeah. That's on there because I've had people f- forcing stupid processes and rules down my throat recently. So uh, I just noticed it last week. I don't know when you did it, but I was like, huh, he's not a resource anymore. Or he is a resource now. <laughs> yeah, I'm now. I've just, I've been absorbed into the board. Or something. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm a tool. Uh, You're just a tool for this business. Yep. Yeah. We are, aren't we? True. But we're all unique tools. I don't think I have any more news. Um. Yeah, I don't either. I'm done. It's late. Yeah. I'm tired. Tired. Did you bring a drink? Um, I, I did earlier, but it's, uh, it's gone. It was a cab from, uh, I think Santa Inez Valley. Ah, oh, nice. Um, I can't remember the name. Oh, Firestone, Firestone, I guess winery. Um, I which I'm not that. sure. I need to check. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with Firestone Walker brewery, which is also, let's see, where are they? They're in Paso Robles. Is that the same County? Uh, or is Paso Robles in, uh, Santa Barbara? Paso Robles. Oh, no, it's in San Luis Obispo. Okay, different county. So probably don't have anything to do with each other. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think it was like a 15 or $17 bottle. That's good. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. I might have had that previously. It was an impulse purchase the other day. We had steak tonight, so I'm going to have some wine with it. Oh, lucky. Maybe I'll have a steak tomorrow. My only problem is right now because I'm getting my house painted it includes my kitchen and we're not really using my kitchen right now so it's kind uh, of a yeah. so you're all takeout right well i'm trying not to do takeout we're trying to go to a restaurant at least sit down and have a meal mm. otherwise we're either in my office or in one of the bedrooms eating and that's just not going to work yeah so so what was your drink tonight uh beer beer <laughs> ginger beer actually no i okay. just poured a, a glass of ginger beer because i've been dealing with the fumes from this paint and I, oh, so you're already, you're already buzzed. Yeah, I'm already high. I, I didn't think I should tack on alcohol on top of it. So <laughs> I just, oh no, you should have. That would have been cool. Kind of like when med- kind of like when medicine says alcohol intensifies effects. 
It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't want to end up pass out on the floor somewhere, so I decided to forego the drink tonight and just have some ginger ale. Mm. That's my drink. I'm going to make my own like ginger syrup. Uh-huh. Oh, you've for, told me that before because you've got the, uh, um, shoot, what's that thing called? Soda Stream. Soda Stream. I, yeah. I still need to get it. I, I'm debating. Well, I'm not really debating it. I just I haven't gotten one. You buy a $1,500 chair, but you want to buy a $50 awesome appliance that you'll get a ton of use out of? I don't know that I would. Maybe not. We use it. All the time, man. We make so much soda water in a day. I make a lot of coffee. I mean, the Keurig's kind of, I mean, it's not, I know it's not like the best coffee compared to what you make at home, but because you've got the whole machine and roasting and everything. I'm not that dedicated to my coffee, but I do drink a lot of coffee. Maybe I should hire you. You can't afford me. We should get an office. We should get an office again and get hooked up with a machine, and (laughs) your desk will be kind of like barista slash uh, Jeremy's office, and we'll just we'll just drink coffee. That that would be the the downside to getting an office is I would have to. What do I do? Move the stuff I have at home to the office? I wouldn't want to do that. Downside, you know, you love buying. You like that stuff. You'd love to buy. I mean, we're talking like we're talking like five grand. You spent five grand on your coffee equipment. You're, you're, you're making fun of me for my expensive chair. I didn't make fun of you. I even rationalized the monthly expense for you. I rationalized it. Well, I mean, I, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I agree. It's worth 10 bucks a month to have a good chair. And it's worth $5,000 for a good cup of coffee. That's true. Uh, and hopefully my coffee machine will last as long as your uh, chair. But you know, it's not, it's not just the espresso machine. It's the, the, you know, the, I mean, a good grinder is thousand bucks easily, easily. Oh, you're kidding. Oh no. I mean, that's kind of to match to like my espresso machine. And you know, it's like, you're what starting does the grinder do that. It would require that as a different kind of granularity or graininess or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, well, first of all, it's being able to achieve, the full range of uh, particle size, but it's also the consistency. So not only do you have to have the right particle size and for espresso, it's pretty fine. Um, pretty small particle size, but it's that, you know, if you looked at a hundred particles under the microscope, are they all, what's like the standard deviation of particle size? Well, that's what I'm saying. A better grinder will have, mm. you know, particles that oh, are okay. Lo- it's yeah, a smart. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you like vaporize your coffee so it's an aerosol? You just breathe it in. <laughs> um, you probably could. Um, some I think a lot of the compounds are not conducive to uh, aerosolizing, but mm. some are, obviously because coffee smells good. Grinding it and they're just huffing away <laughs> <laughs> like an addict. <laughs> uh, yeah, my roaster's been broken for like six months. I need to. I gotta get some new part for it. I've been. Um, buying coffee roasted coffee ah you must be suffering which goes back to my story about the ordering coffee from amazon on friday Mm. you should have ordered a part while you're at it i'm not sure what part i need i have to look and see Uh, your grease muncie skills are relegated to the coffee machine yep yeah don't get me working on a car i'll break it (laughs) where's the grinder on this thing yeah exactly <laughs> this feels like the roaster it's really hot so yeah. <laughs> i know what that does 
Uh, Well, on that note, good day, sir. Good day, sir.